Thank you, Pastor, so much. Thank you all for the grace that you extend. You know, in this busy season of the year, the worship service sometimes can get busy. And some of you noted last week I got some things out of order and maybe left out a thing or two. And you've been so gracious and kind as we've uh, worshipped and able to overlook those things. Uh, there are some photographs over there near the front door on a little TV tray of the of our family. And um, you're welcome to take that, not because they're of any particular value, but... Uh, If you would take them, and then we have the occasion to maybe look at them, to pray for Kathy and me and for our family, we would be thankful. So think of them as uh, as prayer cards. As a Baptist pastor friend of mine said once, uh, I need the prayer, you need the practice. So (laughs) that's what that's for. And now I invite you to give your attention to God's Word. As we have already heard from God's Word and the call to worship and from some wonderfully helpful verses that Al read for us just a while ago, think of that. An evergreen tree being a reminder to us of God's everlasting love. Isn't that comforting in this season of the year? And the bells that ring and how we all should be as bells ringing and sounding forth the good news of the gospel. But the good news of the gospel was preached centuries before Jesus came. As prophets foresaw His coming, By the power of the Holy Spirit that was working in them, they were able to foretell amazing things. Over 300 specific prophecies concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely unparalleled in any kind of literature anywhere. And here today we find one of those wonderful passages, Isaiah chapter 9, where we will begin reading with verse 1 and read down through verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And as we know, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. And so it was that he testified, I saw the light. It's been put to song, sung by many, and has been the testimony of so many throughout the ages. I think of one lady in particular who told me as she was struggling with an illness that ultimately would take her life, 
She said, Pastor, things are not going so well for me right now, but I can tell you right now I've seen the light. And I know that I will see Him in His glory. That has been the testimony of believers throughout the ages. The light of the world has come because this world is a very dark place. There is no darkness like the dark. And so as the prophet uses these words to establish for us that glorious contrast that is this world under sin, under the dominion of sin and the curse of sin, people are walking in darkness. Walking, of course, conveys the notion that they're alive. Physically, at least, they are able to move through life and able to live. But darkness conveys the notion that there is a lack of understanding and ignorance, a lack of life, lack of faith, lack of God in our lives, wherein otherwise we would be in the light. Darkness and light, no greater contrast will we find. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. As Isaiah has had to proclaim to his people that they are under judgment because of their disobedience and because of their idolatry, the proclamation of the good news carries with it by inference the fact that there is bad news, something about which we often don't want to think. When our denomination was being formed back in 1973, the struggles that we now face were already on the scene, as they always have been, right? There's nothing new under the sun. And there was an attempt on their part to right theological wrongs that were taking place in that old denomination, which no longer exists and joined and has otherwise been subsumed in another one, but struggling and working hard to try to maintain the truth and some semblance of truth, and yet it was hard. There came a time when a pastor down in Texas early in the 20th century was accepted into the office of gospel minister, even though he denied the virgin birth. Other instances where truth was denied, and they only began to multiply, it seemed, throughout the course of the century. Now, of course, we know we all struggle with error. None of us is perfect. No church is perfect. You know, Billy Graham used to say, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it, because if you do, it won't be perfect anymore. (laughs) And so here we are, a small denomination in the great scheme of things, even among Presbyterians in the world. And yet we're thankful for God's faithfulness. We don't boast on our own, after all, if we begin to think that because there's almost 400,000 members of the Presbyterian Church in America now, just remember there are more Muslims following Islam in Washington, D.C. than there are PCA Christians in the whole world. We cannot boast in our numbers or what we're about. We simply boast in the Lord who is faithful. And that God has his remnant and faithful ones throughout the whole world among different churches and denominations. I don't even know how many there are now. We used to joke and had a professor that made a joke of this because, you know, there's a lot more than one Presbyterian denomination. There's the UP, the AP, the PCA, the PCUSA, and, oh, Split P. Don't forget those. In fact, I've got a, I've got a PCUSA ruling elder friend, one of my dearest friends in the world. And sometimes he'll refer to me as his split P Presbyterian friend. We live in a world of darkness. And we see it on the news. Even just this past week, we have seen heads of Ivy League institutions seemingly clueless 
as to the distinction between good and evil. People advocating for things on their campus that would have been advocated by Nazis in Germany in a previous generation and not able to condemn that before our law-keeping body. How is it that we've come to such a place? It's because there is darkness, because there is real evil that lurks in the heart. We don't have to look at nations. We don't have to even watch the news. We have only to be mindful of ourselves and our own tendencies away from God rather than toward Him. So, this season, when there are lights, Kathy and I saw them on boats coming down the Imperial River last night. Lights on boats. That was, you know, we didn't have that in the mountains. <laughs> you know, there might have been some lightning bugs on Catalucci above the creek, but there weren't any boats floating down. Seeing lights on those boats, seeing lights on the trees and on greenery, uh, Saw one several years ago. A person had an old rusty tractor out in the front yard lit up in Christmas lights. You know, at nighttime, that thing looked beautiful. You went by there during the day, and you think, why is that out in the yard? But at nighttime, lights made even that look pretty. Lights bear testimony, I believe, even when they are erected by people who don't believe in Jesus. Nevertheless, they testify to the light of the world. For how can the darkness of this world be displaced other than by the light of the world? Is it not significant that the first words we have recorded of God speaking in Genesis chapter 1 is of him saying, let there be light, and there was light? Is it not necessary for us to know the one true and living God in order for us to have an understanding of what light is, so that by his light we may see the light? And Jesus, of course, testifies to his being the light of the world. But the psalmist, again, centuries before Jesus came, David himself saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Without him, I would be in darkness and ignorance. Without him, I would be walking in darkness. But the light has come and has dawned. And so Jesus said that he came into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. John 12, 46. Isn't it wonderful to know him, to know the light, to have that understanding that whether we're facing a potential diagnosis of cancer or whether, as someone told me this morning, that their spouse is struggling with long COVID, that whatever struggles we have, that we may know the one who dispels the darkness and ultimately when we are with him in glory, there will not even be a shadow in heaven. Do you realize that? Here we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But there are no shadows in heaven because all is light. And God is that for us and has provided light for us in the person of his Son. And so the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 and 6, has said the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now, we can stop there in verse 4. And we see this commentary on our present age just as true now in 2023 as it was when it was written in the first century. That we see it's not a matter of being able to educate ourselves out of this mess. It's not a matter of us being able to accumulate enough resources so that we can purchase our way out of them. We can't work our way out. Rescue must come from someone else. must come from God the Creator. Because there's nothing in us that would commend us to Him. So, there are lots of intelligent people out there with IQs that would astound us, who are unbelievers, who have not accepted Christ, 
Why? Is it a lack of knowledge? It's because of blindness. It's because of being in darkness. As I said, there is no darkness like the dark. There is nothing, there's no ignorance like a failure to understand the gospel and who Jesus is. And yet no greater blessing than to know him who is the light. For he says in verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we begin to get a sense of what Isaiah is saying. Centuries before Jesus came, when darkness pervaded the land, when the king who was on the throne did everything but follow the Lord his God, when the people themselves were, were adding to that transgression by their own idolatry and waywardness, Isaiah is able to say, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, a light that came not from within them, but that a light which would come from God. And what is this light? Who is the source of this joy that Isaiah is able to write about, even in this oppressive sadness and sorrow as he lived in a time where they were experiencing the consequences of unbelief, not unlike our own time? We'll lose heart if all we do is immerse ourselves in the news of the day. Um, If all we do is saturate our minds with what's taking place in the here and now without regard to what God has done to rescue us from this. The tendency, of course, is not only in the world, it's also in the church. Our own denomination bears testimony to the way in which congregations and whole denominations can go in a wayward direction. And, of course, that will always be the case until Jesus returns. Again, there's no attaining perfection in this life just not possible I know that country song may be the theme song for some of you it says oh Lord it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way (laughs) but we know that's just a song and it's not grounded in reality no the remedy comes by way of an extraordinary birth which was by all appearances an ordinary birth and perhaps not even that For even among the poorest, perhaps, the child would not have been laid in a feeding trough in a mere manger. The poorest of families wouldn't have allowed their child to be placed in such a thing as that. And so we see that the birth of the Lord Jesus was, in fact, very ordinary. But, oh, what an extraordinary gift. Did you note the way in which the prophet contrasts the words, For to us a child is born, but to us a son is given? In that we see that while he became a human being at a certain place in time, as he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, yes, I believe it, and I don't care who says it couldn't have happened that way. With God, all things are possible. And he's performed a rescue in a way that astounds us. And so he became a human being. That was something that had not happened before. But God the Son has always existed. For all eternity he has existed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect, loving, united fellowship one with another. So the prophet sees something that is obscured by so many today. Yes, a child was born, but the Son is given. A Son who already existed, who has always existed. 
is the great gift to us in the person of that one born in such ordinary, impoverished circumstances. And who is he? Who is this child? We know. We know this passage well. He's born. He's given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Boy, if we didn't go any further than that, we could all say, praise God Almighty, that our future outcome will not be determined by the election next year or the cycle after that or a decade from now or a century from now. No, we look to the past when God in eternity past saw fit to redeem a people for himself and so that the Apostle Paul was able to speak of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world or certainly in the Revelation as he is spoken of in that way. Isn't that astounding? That our future is secure because God in eternity past made provision for it And the plan has always been to do it through his beloved son, the Lord Jesus. Who is he? He's a wonderful counselor. Those words go together. A wonder of a counselor. One who is supernaturally wise. One who has all knowledge and who has all wisdom. We're looking for people, you know, to be in positions of responsibility who perhaps are competent, who really would know how to govern or would know how to lead, whether you're talking about a school or whether you're talking about the government or even our own households. And here we are as believers in Christ, and we know the one who has all knowledge, who has all wisdom, and who will always do what is right. Now, many can make campaign promises, but nobody can ever promise always to do what is right. We can't even get them to tell the truth all the time, let alone always do what's right. But the idea of being a wonderful counselor or a wonder of a counselor is that one who has that supernatural wisdom. Counselor being a word which conveys his kingship. Think of counsel. Think of how councils ruled and how a king would be referred to in olden times as a counselor. There is none like the one who will come whose name is Jesus. And it carries with it the idea or connotation of one who will protect, one who will guard One who will keep those who have been called and who have been given to him. The Lord Jesus says, none will snatch them out of my hand. How's that for security? We see him described as the mighty God. Certainly, we focus in on the fact that he is God himself. Not anything less than God, than God the Father is God. He is fully Jehovah, Yahweh himself, second person of the Trinity. God himself, but who has warrior strength to liberate. That's the idea of might. He is able. He is at war against those forces of evil and ultimately has triumphed over them. The cross bears testimony to that. When the Son of Man there laid down his life, enduring the very wrath of God and all that Satan could hurl against him, he prevailed. Did you not note that in our scripture reading When Jesus was in the wilderness and faced temptation as the devil tried his best to derail God's plan that the Son of Man was carrying out, and in each of those times, the Lord Jesus prevailed. Did you note that it took place in the wilderness? Now, we, or at least our parents, were placed in a garden in paradise where everything grew wonderfully. They didn't have to hoe the potatoes. They didn't have to weed out the plants that were growing. They didn't have to grow anything by the futility and frustration of the curse that is on the soil. And yet in that perfect garden, they couldn't hold it together. But in a howling wilderness, 
where there was no one with him. And having been without food, water, basic necessities of life, the Lord Jesus prevailed against all that Satan hurled against him. And ultimately at the cross, he did the same. Don't you see? He is the mighty God. There is none like him. He has strength to liberate. The same one who prevailed against the evil one in the wilderness is the same one who will prevail in your life when you are united to him by faith. He will not lose you. He will always be with you. He will never forsake you. Promises that he made and promises that he keeps. You will never be the exception to the rule if your faith is in Christ. There will not be an opportunity for God to say on the judgment day, you know, I'm glad I have all my people here except that one that I just couldn't maintain. You will never be the exception to the rule if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Your eternity is secure because you are trusting in the mighty God, the one who also is known as the everlasting father. Everlasting, of course, is something we can't get our minds around because how can we grasp eternity? And yet for all ages and for all time and for all eternity to come, he is there for us. The idea of father is one, of, of course, conveys the notion of one who loves us. And in the Hebrew, it would have been apparent to those who heard this read that here is one who has concern for the helpless, who has a loving care for his children. I can remember when I was in junior high school, we were wrestling at East Flat Rock, North Carolina. If you don't know where that is, Carl Sandburg knew where it was, and he built a house there. But there was also a junior high school in that community, and I was wrestling there on a brand-new wrestling mat. And it smelled like glue. And I remember the lights were whirling around because the fumes from that brand-new wrestling mat were beginning to get to me. And I can remember my opponent got me in a headlock, and I was so dizzy I couldn't think of the counter move for the headlock. And the next thing I knew, I saw the lights arcing before my eyes, and... And that was it. The lights went out. When I opened my eyes, my coach was there with a Coca-Cola. I'm sorry, it wasn't a Pepsi. It was a Coke. But you know who else was there? I didn't even know he was in the building. My daddy. Sorry. Came down on the mat. And there he was. Son, are you okay? And he took me to the emergency room. He didn't let the coaching staff do it. Now, now you know, that was a head injury, and that explains everything. <laughs> it wasn't because my parents dropped me when I was little. It's because East Flat Rock, North Carolina. My dad was there. And as I think back over the course of my life, and I know this is not the case with everyone, and, and, and I understand that. But my parents were there. Our Heavenly Father is there for us. Whoever else may have failed you in this life, be it your biological parents, adopted parents, others that you counted on, you can count on Him. Our everlasting Father, the one who has loving care for us, and the Prince of Peace. Oh, what does our world long for? What do our hearts long for? But for there to be peace. For there to be a lack of hostility, for there to be a lack of conflict, for there to be a presence of a notion of completion, 
which really begins to get more to the heart of the word when we when we think of the uh, Old Testament word shalom. It's not just the absence of hostility. It is a completeness. It is a sense that everything finally is all put together the way that it ought to be. Who can accomplish that for us except the Lord Jesus, the complete ruler who brings the full realization of God's favor? And finally, we see here that this is one whose government will continue to increase. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Is it not astounding that the gospel, having come into the world, continues to spread throughout the world? There is a progressive action that is taking place, for the Messiah's just and righteous reign of peace is perpetual and progressive in the sense that it continues it continues to overwhelm and overcome as an increasing number of people are surrendering their lives to the Lord Jesus, and as ultimately we will see in glory that his kingdom encompasses far more than we could have ever known in this life. His rule in peace will ever increase. It will spread. It will progress and achieve absolute security for his own and bring us to perfection. Ah, there will be. And there we will experience that ultimate perfection. That's why Christmas is important. That's why every day of our lives, when we're believers and we surrender to the Lord Jesus and we exalt him, every day is of importance because we realize He's the one who's performed the rescue. And that's why it's important for us to continue to gather and continue to bear testimony to that saving work of Christ. And it's why it's important for all of us in all of life to surrender every aspect of life to him. Whether you're paying your bills or whether you're talking with that difficult neighbor over the hedge or perhaps over the balcony and wondering how in the world am I ever going to get along with this person. It's that light that is shining with us when we're having to deal with those difficult family situations and we're wondering, is there any hope in this? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Where in the world am I going to get the strength to endure what I now am having to carry on my shoulders? The weight is overwhelming. And it is for us to call to mind the one who bore the weight of the whole world on his shoulders. With nails, with spikes driven through his hands and feet, he endured for our sake. So that he is able to say, come unto me, you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest which he has accomplished for us. So that in conflict or in times of joy and celebration, we have that peace that passes understanding. When we are in need of wisdom, you know, when everything seems to fall apart. As I was talking to somebody this past week and he was telling me about all the things that have happened just in the course of the last month. A beloved pet died unexpectedly, and and a car broke down not once but three times. And then over the phone, someone who's here with us also telling me about how the roof started leaking. And then the washing machine went out. He said, you know, I got the washing machine fixed, and would you know, by Friday the dryer wasn't working. <laughs> now, you know, in the great scheme of things, when you think about a terrorist attack on Israel, when Hamas comes across the border and kills and tortures people, that's small in the great scheme of things. But yet all of that continues to testify to a world that is broken and fallen and in darkness. Oh, how we need the light. And Jesus Christ is 
the light. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He who believes in me has everlasting life. And all of the promises that he conveys. So, even though we preach this gospel every week, and some may wonder, isn't there more in the Bible? Of course, the Bible gives us instructions and directions on any manner of things. That doesn't tell us exactly what kind of car to buy, unless you read the King James Version, and you see that in the New Testament they were all together in one accord. It doesn't tell us what kind of automobile to buy. It doesn't tell us what kind of appliances to purchase for our house, which sale plan to pay for and know that you're not going to get your money's worth. All of those things that frustrate us, that weigh upon us, and yet God is faithful. So that in this darkness, if we lift up our eyes and see the one who has come and has conquered all. And ultimately, when we are in glory, this life in comparison to what we will then know will seem as if it is but a passing short span, merely a vapor, here once and now transformed into something more glorious than our minds can comprehend. How is it that we're even able to talk about heaven except that Christ has revealed it to us? How can we speak of having a hope and assurance of everlasting life except the Lord Jesus has secured it for us? How is it that we can speak of life in the midst of so much darkness except to know that Christ has come and is that light who shines on us day in and day out and for all eternity. Sometimes when I'm looking at brilliant light as I was right there in that chair just a few moments ago and I was looking out the window and I saw the sun shining now that we're in those winter months and light coming through that window and I thought, boy, that sun is shining so brilliantly. And even it is bearing testimony to the Lord Jesus. We sing songs. We read scripture. We offer prayers. We give offerings. We engage in the worship of the one true and living God and yet what are we doing but just simply joining the choir the choir of all creation that gives glory and praise to the almighty yes indeed we have seen the light and may God bless us in that light to know the light who is Jesus wonderful counselor mighty God Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of your government and of peace, Lord Jesus, we are thankful to be able to affirm and to confess that there will be no end. Thank you for coming to save us. And we pray that you will continue your work on earth until the day that you return, that not one will be lost to you. Save us and sanctify us, and outfit us and equip us, even for life, there in your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that victoriously you sit at the Father's right hand. But thank you that through the Holy Spirit you abide within our hearts. How can we ever praise and thank you sufficiently? Bless us that we may, from every mountaintop, proclaim the good news. So whether we go tell it on the mountain or go tell it on the beaches, 
whether we tell it over the hills or over the sand dunes, blessed that your name may forever be on our lips, even as you abide in our hearts. For we pray in your name. Amen. As we conclude, I invite you to uh, sing together. Go tell it on the mountain. Or as Kathy said this past week, go tell it on the beaches. Go tell it everywhere. But stand together and let's sing.